Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not set at the water cooler. Hi, Liz. Hey, Kat. So today we're going to try something exciting and different. We're going to have the first Real Job Talk book group and talk about Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. We were inspired by our guests from episode 36, which was called Finding a Career Peer, our friends Nate and Emily and their book group. And Kat read Dare to Lead a while ago, and I finally picked it up a few weeks ago. And now I know why Kat recommends it to her clients. For me, the easy language, relatability, and advice around treating people like people resonated so much that I've been recommending it left and right. So our goal for this episode is to talk through some of the concepts from the book, to rumble, and to hopefully help listeners examine their own leadership approaches and see what can be put into practice. So we've talked about leadership a number of times before Mm -hmm. on the show, and the lens that we work with is that everyone is a leader. We're all CEOs of our own life and we lead our own lives. So even if you aren't currently a leader of others in your career currently, you are a leader and you do have an impact on others. So totally. There you have it. We all lead something, Mm -hmm. whether it's an organization, a household, Mm -hmm. or our own calendar. So Mm -hmm. let's rumble. And rumbling is a major tenant in Brene Brown's books. What's your definition of rumbling, Kat? So rumbling is being willing to have the conversations that need to happen to say what needs to be said. And a big premise of Brene's books is about not shying away from uncomfortable conversations. She wants people to be comfortable and confident enough to voice their opinions and to talk about hard things. And Brene calls rumbling a discussion, conversation, or meeting defined by a commitment to lean into vulnerability, to stay curious and generous, to stick with the messy middle of problem identification in and solving to take a break and circle back when necessary, and to be fearless in owning our parts and to listen with the same passion with which we want to be heard. So I spend most of my time in my practice these days encouraging the leaders that I work with, both one-on-one and in groups, to be courageous enough to have the conversations that need to be said. So it's kind of a joke with my long-term leaders that I work with because they know that I'm going to say, well, you need to say you're going to have an uncomfortable, you need to do it. You need to have the uncomfortable conversation because the beautiful thing about going there is that there's trust and there's often, you know, it's that you can, you can work through something that is difficult. And on the other end, you've got so much more trust and, and a stronger team as a result of it. Totally. I feel like rumbling is like the equivalent of being like, all right, you're going to hate me for this, but I have to tell you something or like, don't kill me. Let's have a mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. Use up all the watermelon. And I knew you wanted to serve it at a party tomorrow, <laughs> whatever right. it is. So I feel like by setting the scene of like, we need to rumble about this. Mm-hmm. It's just saying this may be uncomfortable. Let's open ourselves up. Let's discuss this open kimono and Mm -hmm. figure it out together. I trust you and I both want the best outcome. So let's do this. 
And it's just a word that will then set the tone of everybody working together, but hashing it out. And I think it also lets you kind of take down the, well, that's a good idea, bud. And like it, some of the softening language that people sometimes use mm-hmm. because they're afraid of conflict, it just takes that out of the way so that you can get to the meat of the issue yep. while still being kind and respectful. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. It's not easy to have uncomfortable conversations. Mm-mm. It can be scary. It can be anxiety producing. It can even be paralyzing, right? It's It, mm-hmm. it can be so uncomfortable that you don't do anything. And totally. that ends up being at the detriment of relationships and mm-hmm. the business. Totally. So, you know, we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to make waves. We don't want to be difficult. So we may avoid. And I love that she's written about rumbling because it she's given us a whole kind of framework to work mm-hmm. within. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we don't address something when it's little, <laughs> it ends up growing and getting bigger. And that's so unfair, especially when, when you're a leader. Mm-hmm. And you see an issue and because you're uncomfortable, you don't address it. And the issue grow, you know, it's just a little issue, but if you don't address it, it has the potential to grow into something bigger. It has the potential to change your company culture. Totally. So being able to effectively rumble is essential for building trust and safety in relationships, teams, mm-hmm. and companies. Yep. And if the whole company has the rumble language and the permission to rumble, then they actually might problem solve with a rumble and things will get done and not swept on the rug. It's deep, but ultimately it's about having an open conversation where two sides listen, discuss, and come to some sort of conclusion. But my favorite part is where she reminds people to take breaks. So I schedule 45 minutes with you and say, we're going to rumble. And then it frames it that we have to solve this problem in 45 minutes. We get going. We each say our piece. We start working through it. It gets meaty. And then we say, you know what? Can I sleep on this? And we come back tomorrow and then schedule time the next day. That's okay. It's totally okay. And that's um, better. But if things get heated because you're passionate and passion is good and heated, respectful, heated, it's great to step away. Mm-hmm. And if things get, you know, if you find that you lose your equilibrium or about to lose your (laughs) equilibrium, I love the fact that part of the process is, you know what? I think I need to step away from this for a little while. Can Mm -hmm. we come back tomorrow? Because stopping yourself before you do damage (laughs) is really important, right? She also talks about, you know, she reminds people to breathe, like Mm -hmm. take a few deep breaths, right? And she also talks about one of my favorite breathing methods, which is box breathing, which is breathing in for four counts, holding for four counts, exhaling for four counts, and then pausing for another four counts. Mm -hmm. And if you do that three or four times, you can slow down your heart rate and really get yourself into a more grounded situation. Mm -hmm. But like, so you try the box breathing and you're still not in equilibrium, then it's okay to say, Hey, you know what? Clearly I'm triggered right now and I want to figure out what's going on within me before I continue this conversation. So would you mind if we just met tomorrow and, you know, gee, thanks Liz. Right. So I think having the, the ability to, you know, it's self-awareness, right. Mm -hmm. Knowing, okay, I'm, I'm present. I'm able to do this or, whoa, I am triggered right now. And I've got to clear that up before Mm -hmm. I have this conversation with you. Totally. And I think that breathing and making a transition 
is so huge, especially when people are working at home right now. And a lot of us are juggling different things going on. And so to take a minute before a big meeting or a big call or something that you think might be uncomfortable and take those box breaths and center Mm -hmm. yourself and focus on what you're doing. It's a hugely powerful technique. And I feel like in the book, she just gives you this permission to be human at work. And mm-hmm. that like is her overarching theme. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, rumble it up, but stop when you need to stop. Because I got to tell you, how many times am I working out an issue and my best idea comes later in the day or in the shower the next morning? Like, yep. wouldn't it be more impactful if I stopped a rumble, took my shower and came back <laughs> to it right. versus pushing it forward when I haven't gotten my thoughts together? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you think, Kat, but if I was going to say, hey, Kat, we need to rumble, especially in a work setting, I might say, Kat, we need to rumble over the marketing for real job talk. Mm -hmm. So already coming in, there's a little bit of tightness, right? A little bit like, oh gosh. And then, and then of course we, as she talks about later in the, in the mm-hmm. book, the stories that we tell each other, the, mm-hmm. the stories that we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So I might go, oh my gosh, Liz doesn't think I'm doing my part, right? Whatever mm-hmm. stories we tell ourselves, uh-huh. um, you know, we, we have that inner dialogue, right? And mm-hmm. I love that she calls it out and even encourages you to say, you know, the story in my head right now is this. <laughs> and and that way you could, I mean, that's a perfect expression of, of vulnerability, right? To honestly say, hey, this is what's going on in my head. Right. And then we may be right, but chances are we're not, right? <laughs> and that's where the having the discussion can help, right? But if I say in the meeting, like if I said just in the meeting request, Liz Cat Rumble, you're going to, mm-hmm. the stories you're telling yourself are huge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I say Liz Cat Real Job Talk Marketing Rumble, you might be telling your story. If mm-hmm. I say Liz and Kat, real job talk, marketing rumble, and then in the notes put like, should we start paying for mm-hmm. ads on other places? Should we up our Twitter games? You know, like the questions that I'm wanting to rumble with, all of a sudden your room for creating a story goes out the window. Right. I love that. That's something that I, I work with my leaders when they're having mm-hmm. a, with, when they know they need to go into one of these rumble conversations, <laughs> uncomfortable conversations, whatever. Yeah. I have them write notes, right? Have a little Mm -hmm. outline of what you want to cover because there's a really good possibility that emotions are going to come into play. And if you have that outline, that will help you to get through what you want to say and not forget. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know about you, Liz, but if I get emotional, I often will forget what I'm going to say. But if I look down on my notes, I can be so much more calm and and convey what I want to convey. And if I can brainstorm before, then I'm going to be more prepared. And then the point of the rumble in our fictitious meetings Mm -hmm. is to figure out the marketing for real job talk. Mm -hmm. I come in with more of a plan and thoughts. We may differ, but at least I'm not coming in. She hates me. Oh my God. She thinks Mm -hmm. I'm terrible. I'm coming in. She doesn't think we're doing a great job or we need to change some stuff. Let me think about that too. It's just, Mm -hmm. it softens the blow. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you can be prepared for a rumble, the better. But I think back to, you know, our deep listening conversations and other things. If you're only listening to the voice in your head, you're not listening to the other person. The rumble will be completely ineffective. Right. So the whole thing is get yourself as much as possible into a place where you're open and, mm-hmm. and at least neutral. Mm-hmm. She should be able to have the conversation as opposed to having the stories in our heads. 
Absolutely. And she talks a lot about being vulnerable while you're rumbling and making sure that you're open to being wrong, like sticking your heels in and not budging probably won't help the rumble. Right. I've had relationships that have been strengthened tremendously by rumble conversations Mm -hmm. by, you know, just by going in open, right. As opposed to being defensive. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had relationships that have, you know, that have been challenged by defensive behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So as much as possible, if we can come in and be open and solution focused mm-hmm. and maybe not take things so personally, right? Or be okay with giving some personal mm-hmm. advice or, you know, like feedback, I had to tell yeah. a client, I gave personal feedback the other day that I know the person didn't want to hear, but damn it, it was the truth. And I said it and I put it out there and I think I have a strong enough relationship that they're not going to be like, she hates me or she's a jerk. I hope they read it and said, oh, damn it. She's right. And if Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, they will be calling me out on it tomorrow when we when we rumble. Mm -hmm. But I became vulnerable by not blowing smoke. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also opened up an authentic conversation so that behavior can hopefully change. Right. And. And everyone, especially people in leadership roles, Mm -hmm. need to have someone who gives them the straight up honest truth, right? Even if it's hard to hear, at least it's real. It was hard to say. It's hard to hear. Yeah. But it had to happen. So rumbling isn't just for (laughs) careers, right? It's not just for work situations. And, you know, ideally you're going to have the same approach, but you know, keep in mind that in your personal life, mm-hmm. you know, especially at least hopefully with your, your close relationships, right. Um, the people that really love and care about you, mm-hmm. you know, there, there may be a little bit more grace and room for making mistakes, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think approaching the rumble in the same kind of open-minded solutions oriented kind of approach that you would at work is certainly not going to undermine a personal relationship, right? Or if it does, then maybe there's problems in your personal relationship. Sure. But I love how she ties in her personal and her professional Mm -hmm. because we're none of us are one or the other. She gives some good examples in her relationship with her husband, Mm -hmm. you know, about the stories in her head and, and, and just how I think that, you know, especially in those close relationships, it's really easy. I'm a little bit more careful in my professional relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when I'm in a, a coaching role, right? I may not share as much emotion as I might with my husband, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that taking that, you know, you don't want to abuse that, right? Mm -mm. So, so taking that approach is just as important in the personal, in in the personal relationships and, and can strengthen trust. And that's, it's like when trust is there, there's a lot of room for grace. Absolutely. Well, and if you're practicing it both personally and professionally, then you get better at it. You but do. I, I, I think you're right. In terms of trust is built in relationships over time, both personal and professional. Yep. So the rumble I'm going to have with Eric, my husband, is going to be a lot different than the rumble I'm going to have with my client of one month that I'm just getting right. to know. Right. I'm still probably going to be outspoken and tell them what I think, but I may be a little bit softer because I don't know them well enough to know how they handle feedback and things. Whereas Mm -hmm. 
after 18-ish years with Eric, I'm pretty positive of how he's going to take things. Right. So I'm different, but I'm still me and we're still rumbling. (laughs) Right. So, you know, being able to rumble is a tool that is going to serve us all in Mm -hmm. any relationship we have. A hundred percent. For sure. Okay. So another thing that Brene dives into that's a whole section in this book is values Mm -hmm. and how we bring our values into everything we do so that it's really helpful to know each other's values that, you know, in any relationship, right. But, but certainly it, I love that she sets up a process for values at work and knowing each other's values is super important. So she has a list in the book of, I don't know, maybe like 50. At least, uh, yeah. At least. And she asks you to pick two. And so, you know, I'm pretty clear on my values. <laughs> you know, I, I hope, you know, I do that work with companies. So it's it's important. But I'll tell you, even someone who, who works with values pretty often in work, to pick two was not easy for me. Mm-mm. I made a list of 15. <laughs> And brought it down to 10 and then brought it back up. And then I finally drilled down to two core values, integrity and making a difference. How did you pick those two? Like, what was your process in weeding out? Because I bet you all 10 are important to you and that you embody all 10. So how did you kind of pick your top two? So with integrity, I really looked at, well, many of these values that I've got on this list are my beliefs. And integrity is the value that will help me to stay aligned with those beliefs. So that's how I chose integrity. It was, Mm -hmm. it was inclusive for me. (laughs) Things like compassion, kindness, forgiveness, accountability, authenticity, all of Mm -hmm. that, I was Mm -hmm. able to roll up into integrity, right? Because if I am aligned with those, I'm in integrity. Mm -hmm. And then making a difference, I really looked at what what fuels me, right? And when mm-hmm. I know that I'm making a difference, I am on. I get on fire, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's mm-hmm. that's how I came to that. So I'm curious, Liz. Tell us about yours. Well, like you, I also chose kind of an umbrella value that mm-hmm. all the other ones could roll up into, and so mm-hmm. that I could really have more than two because <laughs> right. two was hard. It was so. I chose authenticity because if I sniff someone who isn't authentic it's like a repellent to me. Like if I can't be me with you, then I don't even want to be with you. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, and part of being authentic, I rolled in justice and somewhat reliability and family and all the good values that I saw on that list. I really just rolled it up to, if I'm me, I'm making a difference. I'm Mm -hmm. working hard. I'm valuing money, like all the stuff. That's all part of being authentically me. Yeah. I love it. So umbrellas, they work. (laughs) And then I decided on reliability as my second one, because I it's another value I value in others, but I feel that if I tell someone I'm going to do something, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's mm-hmm. done. Like yeah. they don't question it for a second. And that's really important to me to be someone that my friends know they can call me day or night and count on me, that I will follow through, that I will remember, mm-hmm. that I don't let things fall through the cracks, like all those things. It's just kind of core. Core. Yeah. I was just going to, yeah. I struggled though with justice because there is a part of me in my forties that is still the three-year-old going, it's not fair. And 
sometimes I can get wrapped up in justice, but that's going to roll up into authenticity. So it's not gone. It's just not my top two. Right. Right. So one of the things that she does with values is, you know, she talks about, you know, how we bring our values into everything we do Mm -hmm. and gives you a few tips on how to do that effectively. So she talks about doing the work beyond identifying values and suggests that you identify three behaviors that support each of your values. Mm -hmm. So three behaviors that support Mm -hmm. and also just as important, identifying the slippery boundaries Mm -hmm. that may be outside of that value. Yeah. And this, I really loved having a memory of a time when you were completely aligned with your value. Mm-hmm. because I think that that can support you to align with your values when it's challenging, because you can mm-hmm. remind yourself, okay, I know what this feels like. And I know how good it feels when I'm fully aligned and just kind of be able to match up to that. Totally. And don't you think though, that like, as you get older, it's easier. Like I honestly feel, and maybe I'm just full of myself or it's hubris, but like, I feel like I live my values every single day. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have to remember a time because it was like an hour ago and it's right now on this podcast. What Mm -hmm. you see is what you get. So I feel that the more comfortable and secure I am with who I am, it's easier to live those values every day. But I think the key for the value as someone who works at a company or with companies as a consultant, like who we are. Cause I mean, you and I have both said, if someone doesn't like me or align with me, then please don't hire me. Yeah. Like, but I think that at work, if I was going in-house at a company or working closely with leaders, they need to know my values so that they know my lens and I Mm -hmm. need to know their values so that, that I know their lens so that we can communicate more effectively with each other. Absolutely. I loved her story about her CFO where financial security was his like driving force, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because he's the CFO. Right, right but it wasn't hers. So when he was pushing back and she was wanting to move the needle, so she was pushing on hers, they were totally at odds, right? yeah. at odds. But once they looked at the lenses, they're like, oh yeah, I get mm-hmm. you now. Mm-hmm. And they were able to come back together. It was, they were totally polar opposites and then they came together. Which is actually great in that type of situation Mm-hmm. You know, she's running this company and she's a risk taker and she's brave. She mm-hmm. needs someone there to put on the brakes mm-hmm. when necessary, right? That's, you want someone who's in that type of a CFO role to, to have that value. Checks and balances, people, yep. checks and balances. Mm-hmm. If everybody's the same, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Checks and so balances. Di- so, you know, you want both alignment and diversity in values. Totally. But I think that bringing your values to the forefront or saying in a conversation or a rumble, I'm looking at it through this lens, Mm -hmm. I think is really powerful. And going into those conversations with the intent of understanding the other person's perspective is key (laughs) because understanding their perspective and agreeing with this perspective isn't the same thing. It's not Mm -mm. necessary to agree with someone's perspective, but to be able to understand and respect their perspective is, is all the juice you need for trust. Totally. It's setting 
if you're looking at like the boardroom and the negotiating table, it's having everyone have an equal place and an equal perspective at the table. We talk about diverse teams all the time. Again, everyone's going through the same lens, same value, same everything. You are going to miss huge things. Mm -hmm. And oh my God. And so you have to have diverse viewpoints, but the more you understand each other's viewpoints, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the better you're going to be at communication, the better your product is going to be. It all comes together better when people are all voicing their opinions. Mm -hmm. So the next big segment in the book is about braving trust. And she's got a whole process for this. Both Liz and I can't recommend this book enough (laughs) for, Mm -hmm. you know, not only leaders, but for, for people who want to have a little bit more ease in communication and relationships. Who want to take a look at themselves and mm-hmm. figure out a better way to present themselves in the mm-hmm. world and maybe to move themselves and therefore their careers and maybe their personal lives forward. At the end of it, I and maybe this is my authenticity lens, <laughs> but it's about finding your authentic self and then pushing forward with that. And if you can do that and show others around you who you really are, it's only going to help you grow. Mm -hmm. So Liz, what does trust mean to you at work? It's tough because I mean, we've said on this podcast before, like, don't trust everybody. Like you don't, (laughs) you know, hold back a little bit. Mm -hmm. You may want to be aware of those around you and how they work in relation to you and your promotion versus their promotion, all that kind of stuff. I think trust is earned. Absolutely. In all relationships. Mm -hmm. But for me at work, I'm probably going to trust you until I don't, but I'm also not Mm -hmm. going to be fully open kimono until I know I can be. Yep. So guardedly trusted, does that or yeah. guardedly trusting, does that work? <laughs> How I about think you? So. And I and I love that you say I'm gonna trust you. I, you know, I'm I'm gonna lead with trust mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, I mean, we both agree that trust is earned. But I think, you know, one of the many things I've learned from John, my husband, is his go-to is always that, you know, when mistakes are made, it's not because people have bad intent, right? He mm-hmm. always assumes positive intent. And I just think that that is so important Mm -hmm. and and I've learned that and I've been able to be more that way because of his example. I think that's a good thing, but I think that in the same time, not to be the devil's advocate, Mm -hmm. but you also, I think what you have to learn in work relationships is that while you can trust people to a point, if it's Mm -hmm. you or them, they're going to probably pick them. Right. Right. But and how that's do you, yeah. human nature? Right. right. I think that, you know, one of the ways that I have built trust mm-hmm. in, in my career is it's really important to me that if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, things change, right? So it's okay if a deadline changes, but the communication is so important, right? So, like, yes. if I'm not going to be able to meet a deadline, my goal is to loop back with the person who Mm -hmm. I made the agreement with and say, Hey, listen, I know we talked about the deadline for a, you know, Mm -hmm. over here being on Monday, but you know, this thing that happened this week, 
I'm going to have to push it back. So yeah. I'm thinking the new deadline is this, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's like doing what we say we're going to do, or at least communicating is one of the best ways to, you know, to establish trust. Absolutely. I'm agreeing with you hundred percent, because if I say, Kat, can you do this project for me? And you say, yep, I'll have it done by Friday. In this, my brain can't hold that much. So right. I'm checking the box and saying, great, Kat's on it and I'll mm-hmm. have it Friday. Friday comes, you're like, oh, sorry, yeah. I don't have it. It's so much better to have that conversation on Thursday. Oh, or my as God, soon as you yes. know, as soon as you know, right? As soon as you know, because then I can figure out how to get that thing done on Friday, or we can rumble, figure out how to right. get it done on Friday, or we can push it to Monday, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But in that moment where I feel like you screwed me over, I mentally choose to not trust you again. So then I'm either going to not give you an assignment Mm -hmm. again because you screwed me or I'm going to micromanage you because I don't trust your word anymore. Right. So one of the things that Brene talked about was when she promotes people or gives people opportunities to manage projects, Mm -hmm. you know, whether she knows they're capable or not, she will make that choice whether or not someone will ask for help, right? If someone Mm -hmm. is, if she knows that someone is not going to ask for help, she's not confident in giving Mm -hmm. them that project. Right. The people that, you know, are in new territory, unknown circumstances, she knows that they'll be able to figure their way out and they've proven that they ask for help. Right. So so she has confidence in them and she trusts Mm -hmm. that they'll be able to do it because she trusts that they can ask for help. So, you know, that was, that was insightful for me. It's like, gosh, ask for help people. Oh my gosh. Because that impacts trust. I hadn't thought about it in specifically those terms, but Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Like, and that's, you know, Uh, it's not weak. And actually so much better in her organization. You get promoted if you ask for help, right? (laughs) You don't have to be perfect. No, you know, I love the work that she's doing because it's human, right? And people Mm -hmm. aren't perfect. And she wants people to feel comfortable to fail because that's how you learn, right? And we've talked about this in the context of behavioral interviewing, right? Sure. Talk about when someone asks you, tell me about a failure, (laughs) don't BS that, right? Mm -mm. I mean, hopefully you know that 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 very well may come up in an interview. So be prepared Mm -hmm. and be prepared to talk about how you handled the situation and what you learned and what you'd do different next time. Totally. And I think that she hires to that. Right. She hires the people who are inquisitive, who aren't afraid to ask for help. I'm positive that in her interview process, there's (laughs) questions around. Tell me a time when you were drowning and had to ask for Mm -hmm. help. Like Mm -hmm. it's there. Anyone who knows her, it's there. Right. But I do think I know when as now a leader, both at consulting as well as my own company, Mm -hmm. if they are struggling and don't ask for help, I get so frustrated because I'm right here. Just because you're doing the work for me and I'm not doing the work doesn't mean that I can't help you if you're stuck. Mm -hmm. And so coming to the weekly meeting with, yeah, I'm ripping. Right. And, but if you come to me before and tell me you're struggling, I am all in with you. And so I do really feel like trust is something that you can absolutely have at work, but People have to earn it. And the way they earn it is by showing their weakness or showing their strength or giving updates or, or, you know, showing you can count on me. One of the things she wrote that struck me, you know, and she didn't even claim that this was her saying, she said, it's an old saying of 
people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how much, how far that goes in my book, right? If someone mm-hmm. really shows that they care, mm-hmm. but, but maybe having some challenges mm-hmm. that care weighs more than the challenges, right? Yeah. And I think that goes into a whole different category, almost like it's where somebody is coming from. And so we could bring this to a whole different discussion, which probably shouldn't do, but like in terms of unconscious bias and in terms of things like that, it's like, if you know that this person's heart is in the right place. So I was on a a big call and someone said something about going out in public. And it was a woman who said that they were going out in public and a man on the team that's in a leadership role said, you bring protection with you. And of course, when someone else said they were going out, that was a man, he of course did not say, bring protection with you. Now it was subtle. I know she caught it. I know Mm -hmm. probably the other women on the call caught it. Mm -hmm. And it was unconscious bias at its finest, right? Right. But he just wanted her to be safe. Mm -hmm. So his intention was good. It was caring. Of very. Mm -hmm. And so while she could get upset about the whole shebang, if she looks at his intention, she's going to see it as he just doesn't want me going somewhere dangerous mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she can take it in a different light. Mm-hmm. But I really love what she said about caring. I loved what she said about gossip and like, <laughs> look, who doesn't like a juicy piece of gossip? It's interesting, but it's so damn toxic. Yeah. And she is so clear on gossip and it's mm-hmm. beautiful and she's dead on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to dish about other people, just raise your awareness mm-hmm. that people are going to take note of that and it is going to impact trust. Big time. Yeah. I mean, because if someone will gossip about their buddy three cubes down, they'll also gossip about you. So don't tell them anything. And oh yeah, then you don't have trust and mm-hmm. our points are proven. Thank you. So yeah, even when it may not seem like it's that big of a deal, people take notice and they, mm-hmm. it's about sharing what's appropriate to the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I think that we can leave it at that and say, mm-hmm. read the book because there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. But raise your awareness on that because Mm -hmm. it really can, that alone can make or break careers. For sure. And if I'm going to call, can't be like, oh my cat, did you hear? Like I can check myself and say, do I need to be the conduit of that info? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And I can do something better with my time. Mm -hmm. So one thing that she talked about that makes me uncomfortable as someone who likes to follow through and do things right Mm -hmm. was when she talked about practicing failure Mm -hmm. and she talked about recovering from failure and watching your leader fail and storytelling around failure. And it's kind of hard to read, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to grapple with, especially as people who don't like to fail. Right. And I don't think anyone likes to fail, but some fall harder than others. But I think we both have worked in cultures, Liz, where failure is not as acceptable as maybe it is in Brene's company. And what that does is it kind of forces people to be perfectionistic and it squashes creativity if you're so afraid of failing. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, being aware of that as a leader, that if, you know, if I don't have room, if there's not room for failure, then there may not be as much creativity that happens. And the, and the creative process is what leads people to success, leads companies to success, leads mm-hmm. teams to success, right? Yep. So I think that there's just a lot of really good information in there around that. It's a practice, right? So how do mm-hmm. you, you know, she advises, well, you know, start small fail small first and be okay with that. And I think that, you know, this is all about practicing and developing stronger skills. If failure is a, you know, a a red flag, right. For you personally, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something to look at, right. How, you know, if I maybe turned the knob down on the perfectionist behavior, then maybe there would be more flow and more ideas and more, you know, more creativity. Mm Mm-hmm. And I also think it depends on the career you've chosen. Right. Right. And you can't, you can't fail as a brain surgeon, right? (laughs) No, it's bad. (laughs) Right. But you also, if you're in sale and Mm -hmm. you miss your number every single quarter for five quarters, you're Mm -hmm. gone. Right. Done. But if you miss it in one quarter, because you tried something new and it didn't work and then you pivot, that's Mm -hmm. maybe a different story. But like if every quarter your team is failing and your people hate working for you and it's disasterville, then you're gone. And, you know, if you're an accountant and your numbers are always wrong, you're gone. And like, so there is a performance piece and there are certain jobs, (laughs) brain surgeon, please don't. (laughs) Right. Messing in my brain. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there are certain jobs where failure is much more black and white. And there are other roles and things where creativity and trying new things, you know, and back to our brain surgeon. Yeah. Please don't try stuff on me, but they're always going to have a first time when they try a new thing or a new Mm -hmm. procedure or a new method. If they're never tried and they only do what they learn in med school, then throughout a 40 year career, they're going to be pretty antiquated pretty quickly. Yeah. They're going to be behind. Yep. So even as a doctor, you know, you don't want to think about that when you're the patient, but even as a doctor, you're going to be trying things. Mm -hmm. And I think that in most jobs, it's okay, but you do need to have certain successes. You have to have success and communicate. You got to take the learning from the failure and actually turn that into, you know, turn that into something good Mm -hmm. and communicate. Hey, Mm -hmm. With my sales team, we're trying this new approach this quarter, and I think it's going to be awesome because of this, this, and this. But if it's not, you can blame me. I'm accountable. Don't blame Mm -hmm. my people. Mm -hmm. The boss says, hell no, don't do that, or you're all fired. Okay, you have a decision to make. (laughs) But if the boss says, go for it, and you fall on your face, own it and iterate. Mm -hmm. When we try things, sometimes amazing things happen. And if we don't try things, then we never will experience that. Yep. So I recommend this book. You can't. <laughs> Most of the leaders I currently am working with have received a copy, a copy of this book or a copy of the Kindle or a copy of the Audible, whatever, however they like to consume it. Yes. You know, if, if they're open to it, they've received it from me because I just think, you know, again, I spend so much time talking about the importance of uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is just for the rumble itself. And the process, right? She gives you a roadmap. Also, 
on Brene Brown's website. You can go there and there are forms and everything that are free that you can, you can go through, you know, some of her processes. So I would check out the book, check out the website and, you know, don't be afraid to learn and don't be afraid to stick your neck out and, and practice a little bit of vulnerability because (laughs) in both of our experience, when you appropriately are vulnerable, it is a huge trust builder. And, mm-hmm. and when you have trust in personal relationships and teams and companies, you can just do so much more. Absolutely. And the book is research-based, but also relatable and digestible. And that's why I think it's so impactful. So read it, lead it, Let us know it, what you think. And let us know what you think. Absolutely. Until next time. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>